Welcome to PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, you can tell from the music and the intro that today's episode is a guest interview. It's our first one of 2024, and boy, is it an important conversation. The theme of the podcast this year is Tell Your Story, and so it was a joy and a pleasure to get to interview one of my friends, Leah Steyerwalt, on this episode. Her story has many, many layers. There's so many layers to it, in fact, that we couldn't fit it all into one podcast. So this one is going to be a two-parter. In today's episode, we're talking a bit about Leah's grief journey. And in next episode, we're going to talk more about her parenting journey as a biological mother an adoptive mother, a foster mother, and a mother of special needs children. As you can probably guess, Leah has so much knowledge and wisdom to share. Sitting with her really encouraged me, and I think her story is really going to encourage you as well. Now, I actually took my podcast equipment on the road, so to speak, and we sat at her kitchen table to record this. And so you can hear some thumps and bumps as we're moving around at the kitchen table. So when you hear the thumps and bumps, just imagine yourself around the kitchen table with us. Well, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Well, Leah, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Would you like to share just a little bit about yourself with the listeners? Sure. Be glad to. My name is Leah, as you've referred to. And most importantly, I am a Christ follower. That's probably the, you know, lots of times we align ourselves with being a wife or a mother or all that, but that's the definer of my life. Secondarily, I am a mother of, well, let me explain, one biological daughter who is uh, 27 years old, now married recently. I also have four adopted children in the home, uh, ages 10 to 15. I have four bonus children through marriage, and they are all adults. Three are married, and four grandchildren through the oldest of those children. I am also twice widowed, and as far as, you know, work, I've had lots of different jobs through the years, but most recently, I've had to focus on the needs of my special needs children and navigating and coordinating and scheduling all of that and getting them there, but also I do some freelance work on the side, um, such as book editing and social media management. Very sporadic, but it it helps in the interim, and I do that because I can do it from home. So basically, I am um, an introvert by nature, but I also like public speaking. Oh. Uh A lot of people don't even know how those two can coexist, but they can. And I... um, just passionate about learning new school skills, trying to see as much of the world as I can, and on a more personal level, connecting with women who have who are in or who have been in the trenches of life. Mm-hmm. Which is why I've invited you today, and I feel like the <laughs> Lord brought you to my mind many, many times when I was thinking about who I wanted to talk to this season, because this season on the podcast, our theme is Tell Your Story, mm-hmm. and there are so many good stories out there. But I'm thinking about what are the stories that people aren't hearing? Right. What are the stories of people who don't have platforms to tell them, but who have things that other people really need to hear? And I think that you have quite a bit of that. And so I'm really excited to talk to you today. So I'm going to let you just take it from here and share your story as much or as little as you'd like with us. Okay. I'm going to just give a brief bird's eye view kind of um, of 
kind of a bit of my childhood because I do think, at least in hindsight, looking back, there it played a huge part mm-hmm. in at least decisions I made. Uh, grief was a byproduct. I mean, that didn't it, my childhood didn't cause the experiences I went through as grief, but it sometimes affects the responses to mm-hmm. that. So, just a bird's eye view of that. The, that in and of itself could be two to three podcasts full because there's a lot there, but. In essence, I was, I lived a pretty normal childhood until the age of eight, or at least what I saw and experienced as normal. And even now in my fifties, early fifties, I can look back and say, yes, it really was from my point of view. I vividly remember um, telling or feeling that my parents were the best in the world and that I could not imagine having another mother or father. I mean, I thought all these Poor people out there that have to have all these other parents, you know, that mine, there's nothing that could have been better than them. And that was my little young view of it. And, uh, and they were, they, they were great, but there was so much lurking around the corner that we didn't know about that just blew that up in my face. Mm. And so um, up until the age of eight, like I said, everything was normal, but then it was around that time, uh, my dad kind of went and sunk into a deep cavern of mental illness, um, much of which came from his childhood that was never explored or dealt with. And um, because of that, it led to a lot of abuse in the home. And it led to eventually my parents separating. And that was also a very difficult thing for me, not only because separation in and of itself is difficult or divorce on children, but my mother and I, and I recently, she, we talked about this, but in a more jovial way, I remember her saying, I will, we will never get divorced. You don't have to worry about that. This was in the, you know, 1970s and eighties when, while it was becoming more rampant, it was nothing like it. It became in the nineties, for instance. And so it was still a big, you know, taboo thing, not as accepted as it is now. And so I thought, okay, good. As long as she tells me that, then I know we're good. Well, much to my horror, when I was around 13 and 14, my parents separated and ultimately divorced. And it was basically because the state had to step in and say, if your dad does not leave the state and get some treatment, um, we're going to have to come remove the children. And so I was the oldest of those, of three. And I could see a little bit more than my younger siblings could the truth of what was happening, but um, acceptance of that was difficult because I felt like I'd been lied to. You know, mm-hmm. they—I knew why. I could hear the why they were having to do it, but I still felt like you lied to me because you said you would never divorce. So that plays a little bit of a factor. But fast forward, um, we moved from North Carolina to Florida. I was born and raised in North Carolina, and then we moved to Florida when I was 14. And at the end of my eighth grade year. My mother remarried, and it turned out to be a very evil man. Um, And apparently my 14-year-old self sensed that before we actually saw evidence of that. And I reached out to my grandmother, who lived in North Carolina, and asked if I could come live with her. And that was another long story, but eventually I did. And I lived with her for all four of my high school years. Uh, My brother and sister joined up for short spurts of time during that, but basically it was me and her for those four years. I graduated, got a full scholarship to college, went to college, and I was pretty much set up, you know, for what most would deem a successful, you know, new beginning as a 
uh, young adult. And, um, but right before my, well, actually right before my freshman year of college, I met the man that I would end up getting married to one day. And I did marry young. I was a month before my 21st birthday, still in school. He was almost graduated at that time. And, um, and I can see some impulsive decisions going into that. I'm not saying that every young marriage is a bad thing because I don't believe that to be true. I believe there are cases where it's great. But I do see that in my case, I had a lot that had never been unpacked. And so I think I was looking more for security mm-hmm. and just starting over, you know, a new family, a new beginning, making right what was messed up in my own childhood and this produced that. And so, you know, initially um, it was that new beginning and we um, ended up having a child. It was our, my daughter, um, four years into our marriage. And then after that, we wanted more children, but I was diagnosed with secondary infertility and was never able to conceive again through many uh, courses of attempts, you know, of, of fertility treatments and things like that to try to do it. In hindsight, I could see that was a blessing, at least at that time, that I never had other children. It didn't take the desire away, and I was so broken by that. But knowing what was coming up, it was, it was huge. And so on that note, uh, when my daughter was four, my husband announced out of the blue one day that he wanted to separate. You can imagine those little triggers from childhood resurfacing, like, no, 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 you know, we can't do that again. And... But the other side of that was I had no idea why. There was no, at that time, clear sign as to why. And he couldn't even give me an answer as to why. Not to mention there was such a stigma in my own mind around it. I didn't want to be one of those people, you know, Mm -hmm. and end up a single parent and all that. Well, we were separated quite a long time. And it was 18 months into that separation that I learned and that he was able to share more of the details around it, that he was basically leaving to choose a different lifestyle. And we'll just leave it at that for that piece of it. But that's when everything changed. And so we did end up divorced and I became a single mom. And uh, I will say that that was a grief in and of itself, a totally different kind, but I experienced many of the same emotions that I will come to experience later. And um, so it kind of laid the framework in a way for, for how I would you know, me, my personality, and how I would navigate tough waters or Mm. deep waters, as I like to refer them to. I was blessed to be able to remarry again in 2008, and my daughter was 11 at the time, and um, he had never been married, never had children, there was no baggage. I mean, it it was fantastic, and he was able to love us in a way that I had never experienced that kind of love before. It felt full, it felt complete, it felt authentic. Um, and he was extremely content and happy and, and everybody around would agree. They've never met a happier man. I mean, just, it's like nothing could bring him down. And so you can imagine that fast forwarding on May 4th, uh, 2011, he was discovered, passed away, having committed suicide. And so here's this man that nobody ever saw frown a day in his life, let alone even the, the smidgen of possibility that that could be in his future. Mm-hmm. And so shock was an understatement, not just for me, but for those that knew him, his family as well. He had two sisters and mother. And so um, 
there I was again, single mama. And at that point, that's when I started feeling like there was, I don't know, just a target on my back. Yeah. You know, like. I would think that too. That why can't I not just be married? Why can't I not just have a normal family? You know, why do I have to experience these things? And what am I doing wrong? You know, those kind of things. And so, but even so, I will say that my grief experience through that, and we'll, we can dive there further, was mm, very, I think it was done well, if I do say so myself. I really, I was one of those people that I learned probably the most about grief after his name was Chris, after Chris died. And I put to use as much as I could uh, do it. But I, um, I felt like I walked through that in a very intentional way. And I did not skirt past anything. It was like face it head on kind of stuff. And I think because I did that, I was in a place actually where I was open to a relationship again in a very quick time frame. Some people would question the time frame. It was about a little over a year after that. But for me, I was I was okay. I was I really was. And I was um you're never going to be fully healed from grief, I don't believe, but I was in a place where I could walk in healing and I was not stuck you know, in any cycle of that. And so I felt like I had explored all the areas and had really worked hard on my grief experience and the healing. And so I was in a good place and I still to this day feel like I was. Um, So I met a man um, that became my husband in August of 2012. And he um, had four children from a previous marriage. Two of them were adults at this time and two were still youth. And then I had my biological daughter and something that connected us was that we also had a passion for adoption and foster care, which would become part of our story a little bit later. Um, as during that season, when I was a single parent following Chris's passing, I also explored adoption as a single parent and was connected with an agency and someone who would become a friend later and my daughter and I walked through that together and we were actually looking at adopting from Africa. It was an international adoption and, and God did close that door, um, both from the country aspect, they closed adoptions, but also from the fact he brought Joel, who became my next husband, into my life. And if you're familiar with requirements and things like that, you can't just be newly married and walk into foster parenting or adoption with good reason. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we had to kind of pass those marks and uh, before we could really explore it, but we did. And we ended up going through foster care classes and we ended up um, also exploring international adoption and landed on Bulgaria as the country that we felt called to. And um, while that was kind of in the works in the background, we started, um, we became licensed as foster parents and started accepting placements in our home. And then we got the word that we were approved for a sibling group um, to adopt from Bulgaria. And so at that time we halted all of the new placements that we were offered and basically just hung on to the one little guy that we had in our home who was an infant at the time. And so we felt like, okay, we've got a lot on our plate. (laughs) And um, 
we'll just settle it here. And we were committed to letting him stay there as long as he was needed to. He was on the path for reunification with his biological parents, and they were working the steps to do what they needed to do. And so we were just committed to to that. And um, But we continued to pursue the international adoption in the meantime. And um, fast forwarding again, in May of 2016, we received our official referral got to see our sibling group, which would become our children later of three, two boys and a girl. And we traveled to Bulgaria in July, just a couple months later to meet them for the first time. And they are a country that has a two trip requirement. So you basically go the first time, meet them and do some paperwork, but basically just to see if there's a connection. And then you travel a few months later to make it official and to bring them home. And so that's what we did. And I said 2016, it was May of 2015. And so we traveled in November of 2015 and brought them home. So they became ours. And at the time, they were four, six, and seven. And um, we still had our little foster placement. He was now a year and a half old. And it was shortly after the three came home from Bulgaria that we got news that his reunification plan was not going to go through. And that it was changing to adoption. And again, we were, at this point, we thought of him as one of ours anyway. And so we were committed, whatever was needed. And, you know, they went through what they had to, to see if there were other family members that could potentially adopt. And that did not come turn out. And so in October of 2016, um, he officially became our son. And he was two and a half. And we had had the other three for almost a year at this point. And uh, we had him first, but his adoption was last, <laughs> just because of the time frame, as you probably can imagine. <laughs> but um, And so we moved just a few weeks after his adoption was final to the new town we live in in North Carolina to be closer to my husband's work. We were looking at, he had been commuting over an hour to work each day for the whole time we'd been married and we knew eventually I would probably leave my job, which was the best one I'd ever had in my life. And I wasn't even close to that yet. Just, But eventually leave it to probably either homeschool or just full-time parent, you know, whatever was needed. So we wanted to be closer to his work. I would become the commuter. And that's what I did until February of 2017. And my husband passed away. Joel did. And that was after a very brief two-day illness in the hospital, um, completely out of the blue. And once again, that target on my back thing started resurfacing. And here I am, a solo parent. Um, that uh, became the new reality. But the experience was drastically different because my home life was different. Yeah. I was in a new city. I barely knew anybody. I had a fantastic support system in my prior town. And that had to be built here. And, um, and you know, starting at that place, that's a tough place to invite people to come into your life, you know, when you're walking through something that difficult. And then we had the fact that um, we had my, you know, the youngest was two and a half. It was right before his third birthday. And so he was at a difficult place and age-wise just to understand what he was experiencing. We had the other three that we were quickly learning there was a lot of special needs involved that were not known at mm -hmm. the time of their adoption. And we discovered that and we were navigating those waters. 
So I was a new widow again, twice widowed in less than six years, but this time I had four kids in the home who we did learn, or I learned, that two of them had very profound special needs, and the other two have some more minor ones. Um, and then my older daughter was in college, and so it was literally me and this crew trying to work it out together. So that's a very long-winded answer, but I, I, feel, I feel like each piece of that does feed into the next in, uh-huh. in even small ways that helps shape the whole. And so it just to kind of give you a better idea. So now we're seven years past his home going and we're still navigating mm-hmm. what all this means, but I'm in a good place and um, just walk, taking the next step. Some days it feels like that. It's all one step at a time and other days it's, you know, no holds barred. I got ideas. I'm ready to run. It mm-hmm. just depends yeah. on the day. I've also, I've often said, um, well, I was thinking about this just today, this morning, actually, that you remember back in the day when the prayer of Jabez was a really big thing and Bruce uh-huh. Wilkinson's book and all of that. I vividly remember praying that prayer over myself and asking God to enlarge my territory. But my idea of what that <laughs> would look like was like not so much wealth and, you know, that kind of thing, which a lot of people, I think, think of that, you know, with, if truth be told, but it was more like, you know, enlarge my territory for ministry because I really had a heart for ministry. And, I, and but at that time, the only difficulties, we'll say, that I had experienced were the childhood ones. And then I was newly divorced. Mm-hmm. And so, but that was it. I'd never been a widow or experienced suicide of a close loved one or anything mm-hmm. like that or special needs kids or adoption. You know, that was yet to come. And then it was recently I was thinking, you know what? God did enlarge my territory, but it was not the way I thought. It was he allowed me to experience more, to be more relatable to people in those trenches. He has enlarged my territory physically as far as the world goes and understanding culture more. I've I've spoken in Africa. I've spoken in Ecuador, adopted children from Bulgaria. I feel like I've I have a broader understanding of the world at large and more of a heart for that. The enlargement of my territory has definitely taken place, but not in the way I thought. And one of the ways, with few exceptions, I feel like there are so many pieces of my story, some I haven't even mentioned on this bird's eye view of it, but there's so many ways that I feel like somebody could say, well, this woman has experienced infertility. Okay, been there. This woman has experienced addiction. Okay, I've been exposed to that. This woman, you know, has experienced widowhood. Gotcha. You know, divorce. Gotcha. You know, all these different aspects. And when I was thinking about that, I'm like, that's that territory enlargement, you know, with few exceptions. And I will say cancer is one of them. I've never walked through it and I've never walked through it with a loved one, a close loved one. Mm -hmm. Lots of people I know have had it and dear friends, but... That's not been part of my story. So that's an area that I don't want to have to learn, but (laughs) I'm not asking for that. But I feel like outside of that kind of a thing, I almost can touch on any kind of um, tough area imaginable in one way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what draws me specifically to women because I am one and that's who I relate to. But just from the fact that it's possible 
to come on to the other side of that. It's mm -hmm. possible even if you don't ever see the other side of that fully to at least walk in a healthy way through it. And, but for me, um, I, I feel like I, I talk a lot about Psalm 18 in the verse about God lifting me out of deep waters. I had a website. I still have it. I'm just not active on it, but a website to that same uh, name. And that's what I feel like. It's God constantly having to lift me out of deep waters, but he does. And so for me, connecting with other women is helping them to see the truth in that and that there is no situation, and I mean zero, that cannot be overcome. Mm -hmm. Now, is it going to take a lot of work? Yes, mm -hmm. sometimes it does. And lots of tears and lots of heartache and lots of mistakes, mm -hmm. you know, but is it insurmountable? No. And for me personally, it's because of my faith. Um, I can't imagine having gone through what I've done without it. I don't know that I'd be here, you mm -hmm. know, truthfully, if mm -hmm. I didn't have Christ at the center. But even so, there are so many other Christian women who can't see past the moment and the fact of where they are right then. And I've been there. Mm -hmm. And so if nothing else, I just want people to know whatever lie you're being fed is not true mm -hmm. because that's not how God created us. Mm -hmm. You know, he created us to, and wants us to live an abundant life, you know, full doesn't mean we're going to have raking in the money or, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. That's not what he means, but fullness. And it's all for his glory to be able to impact others. Mm -hmm. And so what better way to do that than to share our stories? Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I love reading memoirs for mm -hmm. the same. Me too. I love that because I want to hear people's stories and where they've come from and, you know, what they've been to. Things that have nothing to do with me, so, right. you know, yeah. but it's just fascinating. And, mm -hmm. but I think that's what we're made to do mm -hmm. is, is to connect mm -hmm. and, and to swap those stories and to, to hopefully edify other people, uh -huh. encourage other people, you yeah. know, and, yeah. um, give hope. Yeah. One of the things I've uh, figured out as a counselor mm -hmm. that is a gift to people is that when they can't hold hope, you know, I can hold it for them. Yes. Until yes. they can get there again. And I think there is something about hearing somebody else's story that's mm -hmm. like, she made it through all that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Maybe, maybe mm -hmm. one day I'll be on the other side yeah, of this. Absolutely. Whatever the other side of this looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's different for different people, but mm -hmm. healing can look different. But. It sure does. Mm -hmm. Totally looks different. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you what you've learned about grief and you've kind of already answered some <laughs> of that, mm -hmm. but... I'm just curious because you said each time was different. Mm -hmm. I have had a client of mine who described grief as almost being like a woman, like a shadow that follows her. Mm. And I wonder what grief for you has felt like and how the iterations of it have been different. Um, going along with the parts that I've already shared in that, I felt like after becoming a widow the first time that my experience was more fully complete. I, I, and I say that cautiously because you're never fully complete. There will, you know, it'll surface. I'm, I'm seven years past my second widow experience, but yet out of the blue, something can just wreck my day, mm. you know, that has to do with that. So, and the same thing goes with every time I hear of another woman becoming widowed by suicide, I'm affected by that. But that being said, um, after Chris died the first time, widow experience. Um, to me, I mean, I, I went through all the basic emotions that, you know, you're taught through your counseling uh, journey, but also just in general. And, 
And they they were different. Like for instance, anger for me after Chris's death was at him because he chose in my mind to make that decision. He chose to wreck my world and, you know, and to leave me like that. And so through counseling, I, one of the ways that I was able to kind of deal with that head on was through writing him a letter and um, it's just basically getting it all out there and all that anger and just that one act changed everything for me. I mean, it's fascinating how just that simple, what I see is simple, it wasn't at the time, but I, it feels that way, especially to somebody that's never actually done it. Mm-hmm. It feels like, oh, that's just too easy. It's not. But that act changed everything. And I was basically over anger in an extremely short amount of time, in my opinion. Now, does that mean it never comes back again? No. You know, you're still going to walk through that, just like with forgiveness. You know, if, if I've, I've been there where you've struggled to forgive, and forgiveness to me is an ongoing thing. Often you have to constantly renew that contract with yourself (laughs) that you're forgiving whoever it is. And um, so it's not a one and done. But I think the decision to to walk that road can be a one and done. I'm choosing to do this. I'm choosing not to let anger take over me. But how that looks may have to be practiced over and over. And so with um, Joel's death, my anger was more at God. If truth be told, it didn't shatter my faith, but it definitely caused me to get a little bitter mm-hmm. and um, more or less. And, and I knew he could handle it. I'd walked with him a long time. So I, I, I knew that he could take all my anger and all my frustration and I could just lay it out there. And um, also, I, when I mentioned the word bitter, I would say that was a big piece of my second grief experience because I almost got a little bit reticent in the fact that this is just my lot in life. Mm-hmm. Almost kind of like Job, you yeah. know? It was, like, here's that target again. Yep, yep. I mean, this is just the way it's going to be, and I just kind of got a bad attitude. I made much worse choices as far as how to process my grief. I um, took me a lot longer to get to a place of healing but, you know, there are factors involved were different. I had my biological daughter was my only child after Chris's death. You know, she didn't experience, she didn't have special needs. She was a good student. She didn't give me much trouble. You know, I, there were a lot of things. This time, I've had some really hard things to the point that the first, honestly, year of grief, I couldn't even experience it in a healthy way because I was dealing with children who were also walking through that. Right. But we were also walking through all these new diagnoses, for lack of a better word, that they had that we never knew about when we were married. And um, Like so, I think about mm-hmm. that as all five of you being in survival mode. That's and exactly how, what how do you was. grieve when you're in survival mode? You can't. No, not mm-hmm. authentically. Mm-hmm. You can play the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I did probably for two years. Mm-hmm. Maybe, well, two and a half to three years. So it's only been in the last four years that I feel like my grief journey has been authentic. I've had to come to honest um, uh, conclusions, but I had to get real with myself, call it what it was. And, um, And I even had friends that had to do that for me, you know, and calling it dear friends that basically had to just call it for what it was. And it was tough decisions and tough discussions, but it was necessary if I was going to move forward. And so I think another thing that challenged me after Joel's death was that 
people, including myself, look to me as a as a widow expert, for lack of a better word. And I even kind of said, well, I've done this before, so, you know, <laughs> here we go again. It was more that bad attitude that I was talking about, but it was, I truly did feel like, okay, I've done it before, I can do it again. Well, there's truth in that. You know, that's that hope piece, knowing that, yes, I survived it before and I will survive it again. But it was also my way of suppressing a little bit and not wanting just more or less. Okay, here we go. We're just going to walk down this road again, you know, move on, get out of my way. Here I come, you know, but I didn't really face it with authenticity. And, um, I think that was probably the biggest piece for me is that there was just a lot of dishonesty with myself and my feelings after Joel's death and not processing them as I should have because I felt I had been there, done that, so I knew what I was doing. I still had people sending women to me who were experiencing husbands lost through suicide, um, like I was an expert. Mm-hmm. I'd only experienced it once, mm-hmm. but, you know, um, I guess that in some ways makes you more of an expert than you were before. Mm-hmm. And um, so I felt like I had to uphold this I don't want to say image, that's not the word, but basically this place of knowledge, I guess, for lack of a better word, of what I'd been through that I could be helpful to other people, but I was drowning uh-huh. in my own whatever. Mm-hmm. Grief, yes, but there was it was more than that, just drowning in life. Um, and I was not in a place to counsel anybody, help anybody, and it... it took a while to get back to that to where I feel like I'm I can be helpful again. I can, you know. So when we were contemplating doing this together, you said to me, um, I love to speak and it sounds like you have a history of that mm-hmm. and you're a good writer and you're great at communicating. But you said there was a period of time that God had me in his quote unquote therapy office. Yes. Right. So that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Like where you didn't do any of those things no. for a while. He he claimed how my wise. Mouth shut. Yeah, how mm-hmm. wise of you. It needed to be because mm-hmm. I was not, it would have, to me, I felt like I would have been sharing in, in a place of, of not truth. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it would, mm-hmm. it would have been lies and not lies, so to speak, but it would have been authentically me. Mm-hmm. It would have been going through the motions and we don't need that. Yeah. I don't want somebody coming to me in that kind of a setting, you know, knowing right. that they're working through their own stuff, you know, right. you do you and we'll, we'll re, you know, we can. It doesn't mean it the relationship's over or that we can't reconvene at another time, but this person is doing their own hard work. That's right. So you don't need to place that hard work that you're doing onto somebody else, yes. even unintentionally. And thankfully, God did put the clamps on. I mean, he it was, you know, prior I mean, I can see it now clearly, but prior to that there was no shortage of can you help this person? Can you talk to this person? Uh-huh. Can you come talk to our church? Can uh-huh. you share this? Can you do this? I mean, so much so that I had to, being that introvert, mm-hmm. <laughs> naturally, I had to put the brakes on and say, I can only do so much. You know, mm-hmm. I'm only wired to do so much. And um, But then after, when I recognized where I was at authentically, none of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it went away mm-hmm. completely. And it's only been recently that I see some of that resurfacing, and I don't really care. I'm at a place now that God has to open every door He wants me to walk through. I'm not seeking. I am not looking. Mm -hmm. It's totally up to Him. But I know 
that he wants us to share our stories. I know that. And sometimes that just means one-on-one with a person at your kitchen table. Sometimes that he's going to take you to Africa, Mm -hmm. like I did in 2010, to -hmm. share a story. Sometimes it might be in an audience in an arena somewhere. But, and sometimes it may be just through sharing a a direct message on, you know, Messenger. Mm -hmm. And you connect with somebody that way. I've had all of that. Well, not the big arena, but, you know, I've had a lot of that. And and they're all important, Mm -hmm. you know. But it's however he directs, I'm willing to do it. But I'm done seeking. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, he's directing every step and every day I have to lay it down. I have to say, okay, this is your day. You're allowing me to start it with you. How are we going to do this day? Uh-huh. Oh, goodness. I'm getting chills. Thank you for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the analogy that comes to my mind is I've thought very often, like, we should not follow after people that don't have the life experience to back up what they're saying. And there's a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. We also shouldn't necessarily follow after people who are hemorrhaging Ooh, out good. of their wound yes. because they don't have it to give. No. But depleted. we should follow people who are walking with a limp because yeah. c- they're healed up, but they'll never be the same. Right. You know? I and like that, that. That's how God works in us. Mm-hmm. how he worked in Jacob slash yes. Israel, right? Yes. And so I love that. Well, I'm really glad we're at the point now that he opened the door. So we could talk. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Exactly. (laughs) So I wanted to ask what encouragement you might give to somebody else who's listening and has, is now going Mm -hmm. through widowhood or has recently or knows somebody who is Mm -hmm. and ways that they might care for them. Yeah. Any ideas? Um, I think first and foremost, um, or divorce. Yeah. 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 Cause there are, essence, like I said, they all speak to grief. It's Mm -hmm. grief of a different kind, but no, first and foremost, and I don't want this to sound like some cliche or a little just lofty statement, but it is not insurmountable. Mm -hmm. It is not. And so if anybody or even your own inner voice is telling you that that's a lie. So whatever the hard thing is, whatever's brought you to a place of grief, whether it be divorce or family conflict or, or, widowhood or whatever the case, it is not insurmountable. You can do things to impede it sometimes like I've done. You can um, slow it down. You can sometimes speed it up. But I think for me that knowing in and of of myself, I can't do it. I'm too weak in my own flesh. There are a lot of stronger people than me, but me personally, I'm too weak. I had to rely on my faith to get through it. Um, But you have to be true to what you're going through. And somebody, um, I can't even remember the author off the top of my head, but she wrote a book, Just Enough Light for the Step I'm On. Mm-hmm. And for me, that just the wisdom in that title alone is true. Because especially in the early days of any challenge, whether it's the death of a loved one or not, it could be your, you know, you filed bankruptcy and your whole world's crashing around you, but whatever, job loss. Sometimes God only needs to give you just enough light for that step you're on. And then when you take the next step, he'll shine a little bit more and a little bit more. And I think my my personality is one that I'm a planner by nature and I want to see the big picture. I want to know what next year is going to bring, you know, and the pandemic and everything changed that for a lot of us. But um, this grief journey, these grief journeys I've been on have done that for me as well to know that. I can't figure it all out. I can't plan it all. I can make good steps, and we're taught to plan scripturally as well. But 
we also have to rest in, we, we're not going to have all the answers and we have to be open-handed to whatever God wants to pour into those hands on that next step. But I think for people walking through grief specifically is, is ask for enough light for that step you're on. Don't try to jump ahead of it because you will fall. You can't see when there's no light there. And um, I also think that you need to be real and that there are going to be things that you're just going to have to get honest with yourself. And that's the first person you need to be real with is you, that you maybe can't figure it out on your own. Some people, I've heard it all the time, can go through these challenges without therapy, without anything like that. And I think that's fa- fantastic if you, if you do that. And prior to me going through, I would have said that about myself, that I, I'm, I'm pretty self-aware and I can walk through a lot of those things. And I have a, a, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. It's a blessing I know scripturally, but um, one of my spiritual gifts is discernment. And so I feel like I would have been one that would have told you I probably would never need therapy. I can do this on my own. But I got to the place that was not true. I had to do that, even if it's just a short time. But so I think that's key, recognizing that you just can't always do it on your own and not just through therapy, but through allowing people to come into your life. One of the tragedies following my second grief experience was that I self-isolated. And part of that comes naturally just being an introvert. I gained strength by being alone Mm -hmm. and energy. But um, I was not doing that from a healthy aspect. I self-isolated, didn't let anybody in, didn't even want people to know. But yet then there was this other side of me that's like, why isn't anybody contacting Uh me? You know, you have all these expectations of what other people should be doing. And I can speak to both sides of that because I feel like we should be more aware of the hurting people around us. We should be reaching out. But as the hurting person, we have sometimes have to make our needs known. Mm-hmm. And that is hard to do, yes, at least for me. Yes, it is. But uh, very hard to do. One of the things I learned um, following Chris's death is, and I said it, I can't tell you how many times prior to his death, whenever you were, you know, walking alongside someone that maybe had experienced a death or just any tragedy, and you say, well, if there's anything you need, let uh-huh. me know. It's one of the worst things you can ever tell someone, mm-hmm. especially a new widow, because they don't know what they need. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the, it's putting so much pressure on them to tell you what that is. Whereas I just needed people to, to step into my world, figure out what I needed, because I certainly didn't know, and fulfill that need, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was. So, but on the other side of that, you know, when you're walking through it, there may not be people that do that. And so you can't drown in misery and self-pity and say, where are they? The church is supposed to take care of widows and orphans. That's what the Bible teaches. Yeah, we are. But, and we do a lousy job of it, truthfully. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that doesn't give you the out because you maybe don't feel cared for to not walk forth in your healing And so I just encourage widows especially to make needs known. If you're in a church that you're not receiving support from, find another one. You know, find a widows group online. There are so many, you know, through Facebook groups and through online resources. um, Start journaling. Get your feelings out. Don't let them 
sit in there or it's going to be a longer process mm-hmm. to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, those things <clears throat> are so important because we may or may not have the support we need. I've met women who've had very little and I've met women who've just been surrounded by it. And, um, but that doesn't give us the excuse to not take that next step and to not walk forward because getting stuck is the worst thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just stuck on one emotion or one facet of the grief experience, Mm -hmm. it can derail the whole thing Mm -hmm. if you don't move past that. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because um, I have heard it said that depression is frozen grief. Mm, I like that. So with grief, we are experiencing a lot of the same things we experience Mm -hmm. with depression, but it's going somewhere. It's changing. It comes in waves. Mm -hmm. Depression is like, I'm stuck. I'm numb. Mm -hmm. I'm sad. I can't get out. So I love what you said because it really fit with that description for sure. I would agree with that totally. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Leah, thank you so much. We are not done. We are gonna, <laughs> you have a lot more to share, but we'll let this be the end of the first part okay. of the podcast. So thank you so much for You're that. You're welcome. You're welcome. And with that, we'll say to be continued. I hope you'll join us next week for the second part of Leah's story as she talks about her parenting journey, what it's like being a solo parent, as she calls it, as well as an adoptive parent and a parent of special needs. It's such an important and needed conversation. Well, Leah, I just want to say thank you so much for being on today's podcast episode. It was a real joy and encouragement for me to sit with you and hear your story. And I know so many other people are also being impacted by the things you're doing in the world and the way you're willing to share. Well, friends, if you listen today and you think this episode would be an encouragement to someone you know, I hope you'll pass it on. Well, friends, you know you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Pause Renew Next. And you can find all of the blogs and previous podcasts on the website, pauserenewnext.com. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, go subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so that you don't miss an episode. Well, that's all for today's episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN, Pause, Renew, Next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Jesus.